Welcome to the River Bluff Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you enjoy this sermon from Director of Missions Mobilization, Dave Harden. And for more information about us, please visit riverbluff.org. Well, good morning, River Bluff family. Um, it, it is a privilege to be able to gather together and worship corporately as the family of River Bluff. Would you agree? Yeah, so uh, I'm very thankful that uh, I'm able to gather together with uh, the River Bluff family. And um, I will have to admit that uh, it, it's a little bit uh, awkward not having a translator next to me because I'm used to uh, preaching in either Cuba or India or, or other places. So um, this morning I brought a translator with me, but you can't see him. His name is the Holy Spirit. And my um, hope is that the Spirit would uh, communicate to you clearly the message through his word um, and that he would... Cause your minds and hearts to understand this message in such a way that you would then live it out in your life. Um, I'm also used to preaching in venues where it's about 95 to 98 degrees and humid, no air conditioning, fans blowing behind you, um, a little bit smaller room. So I'm not going to complain about the heat or or the conditions in here this morning. Um, I do consider it a, a privilege to be here with you all. And um, before we jump into God's word this morning, uh, I, I perused uh, the self-help book section um, on Amazon.com, and I found a few interesting books because, you know, myself needs lots of help, or, or so I thought. Um, so if we can pull up those slides, uh, the first book that I saw was Note to Self, Inspiring Words from Inspiring People. So I... I thought, wow, I, I need to be inspired. This is good. You know, maybe I should look at that book. How about the next one? Can you pull that one up? Um, the next one said, make your bed. Little things that can change your life and maybe the world. And so um, maybe I should listen to my wife a little more often and start making the bed and making these little changes that can help me change myself and, ha- and help change the world. How about the next one? Uh, okay, now this one you're not allowed to tell anyone about, all right? It's, it's called The Secret. And uh, in the inside jacket cover it says, in this book you'll learn how to use the secret in every aspect of your life to untap the power that's within you. So, but don't tell anybody about that, right? Okay, how about the next one? Um, This is for the women here. Mastering Your Mean Girl says the no BS guide to silencing your inner critic and becoming wildly wealthy, fabulously healthy, and bursting with love. So, women, if you want to partake in any of those, uh, there's the book for you. All right, how about the next one? All right, this is Norbert's Little Lessons for a Big Life. And this is for me to hear all the women out there go, oh, what a cute puppy, because that's usually the reaction that women bring when they see something like that. All right, how about this, uh, this next one? Who says you can't, you do. And so it says here, this challenging yet extraordinary book is the ultimate guide to discover the fulfillment we have been searching for our whole life. 
And, and so this is the message that the world is giving us. And, and I would like to say if, if any of you is considering being an author, maybe this is not a bad genre to be a part of because there were thousands upon thousands of self-help books. One that I, I didn't put up here was even a, a self-help book by Cookie Monster. And it said, for those of you who love cookies and want to improve your life, Cookie Monster has the answer for you. So, um... It's the message of the world. You can improve yourself. You can get better. Who doesn't want to do that? But what I want to share with us today is a message from God's Word that gives us a little bit different understanding about self and how we're to approach life. And so I want to start off by reading... Um, from Romans 11:33 through 36 it says oh the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God how unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways for who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid all right and this is the part i don't want you to miss for from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory and honor forever and ever. So as we take a look at this passage, we see that it gives us a basis for a God-centered approach to life. This passage tells us that the focus of our lives is to be God in his glory. And... In that, it gives us the purpose and meaning of our lives. This passage can be broken into four parts, each of which use the word him, that is God, as the focus of each point. So it begins, it says, For from him all things originate. It goes on to say, And then through him all things live and exist. And to him are all things directed. To him be glory and honor forever in all things. So from looking at this passage, we can derive that since all things were created by God, and all things continue to exist because of God, and all things are directed to God for his glory, that the meaning of life is to be found in God. And the purpose of life is to praise and adore him for who he is and for what he has done in and through Jesus Christ. This verse and all of scripture tells us, don't miss this, tells us your life is not about you. It's about God and his glory. This has some serious implications for mankind in general, but even more specifically for us as his people, the family that we call River Bluff, and for each of us as individual disciples of Christ. This passage makes it clear that we were created for God and his glory. So the big idea that I 
want to convey to you this morning and that I hope that you take away from here and put into practice in your lives is this. We were not made for ourselves and our purposes. We were made for God and his purpose to bring glory to himself in and through all that we are and do. God did not make mankind so that we could spend our time and creative energies on ourselves. God created all things to reveal aspects of his character. And he created mankind as his highest form of creation in his image to reflect his character and activities. This won't come up on the screen, but Isaiah 43, 7 tells us that God spoke of everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. You see, all of Scripture makes it very clear to us. We were made to mirror God's holiness and righteousness to one another, to the angelic beings, and most importantly, back to God himself for his pleasure and glory. Jonathan Edwards, in his book, The End for Which God Created the World, wrote, God wants out of the depths of his love to have in creation a being capable of appreciating the beauty and splendor of the divine gloria as it appears in creation. This is what it means to glorify God, and to put it simply, God is glorified in seeing his character in our attitudes and actions. That's what it means to glorify God. When he sees his character in our attitudes and actions. So that leads me to the next question. What happened? What went wrong? Why don't we take a look at the world around us? Or even take a look at our own lives? And see the characteristics of God in our attitudes and actions. What happened? Where did it go wrong? Well, we can go all the way back to the beginning. And we can go back to the fall of mankind where we find Adam and Eve in the garden rebelling against their creator. And essentially telling God through their thoughts and actions that they would rather pursue their own plans and purposes for their lives. They did not want to continue to submit to God's purpose for their lives to glorify him. And thus they set out according to their own selfish purposes to bring glory to themselves instead. All of mankind since then has followed this pattern and has rebelled against God's purpose for creating them. That includes all of us. All of mankind throughout history has continued on pursuing a way of life and living that they believe is best for themselves and their comfort and their desires rather than living for God's glory in all that they do. This is the problem with sin that has brought God's curse to all of creation. Now, if, if you've been following the news at all, all we have to do is take a look at what's happening in Chicago. What a mess. What a disaster. God's characteristics are not being displayed there through what is happening. 
and not just in Chicago, but everywhere we look, throughout the world. Paul, in his letter to the Romans, puts it like this in Romans 1, 18 through 23. He says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. And check this out. This is what happened. And they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. And so if I, I brought that into our current day context of what's happening, we would say something like this. And they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling clothes and cars and houses, jobs, relationships. We could go on and on with that. And that is exactly what we've done. Take a look around at our society. We have exchanged the glory of God for much lesser glories that are not eternal. They're just temporal. When I say we, guess what? I'm including myself in that. So what God originally intended in creating mankind has gone terribly wrong. But I've got good news for you. God did not give up on his purpose for creating the world. At just the right time, and in just the right place, God himself comes into the world in human form to set things right and bring mankind the opportunity to once again live for God's glory as they were originally created to do. God, in his love and grace, pursues mankind to reconcile them to himself and his purpose to be glorified. Now, if you look throughout scripture, you'll see that God used many people who were not his followers to bring glory to himself, but he specifically gathered together his people for the purpose of bringing glory to him. So let's look at this truth as we see it in Colossians 1, 15 through 20. It says, He, talking about Jesus Christ, is the invisible image, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. Does that language sound a little bit familiar? That's the same language that was used there in Romans uh, 11, 33 through 36. And he is the head... 
of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven. And how did he do all of this? It says, by making peace by the blood of his cross. See, that's talking about the gospel right there. And this passage states that Jesus is the image of the invisible God and that all things were created by him and for him. It goes on to say that God was pleased to dwell through him and to reconcile all things to himself and his purpose by the blood of the cross. Now, for those of you who know me and have spent any time with me, you know that I believe the gospel is the answer to anything that we have to deal with in life. Can I get an amen for that? <laughs> and I believe that the gospel is the answer to what we are dealing with here. To living our lives for the glory of God. The gospel is God's solution for our rebellious, sinful, selfish ways. And the gospel is the truth that causes our minds and hearts to love God and to want to live for his glory. So we have a couple things that are involved here in this process. We have the gospel, we have our minds, and we have our hearts. And basically the way that this works is we are called to see the gospel who God is and what he's like. And as we see it, it makes an impact on our minds such that we see the beauty and wonder and splendor and goodness of God in and through the gospel. And then our minds tell our hearts to rouse our affections for who God is and what he's like and what he's done. So there's a connection between our heart our, our minds and our hearts. And, and to give you an example of this, um, I met my wife 23, 24 years ago, somewhere in that time frame. And I met her at the church that we were both attending. And, and I remember one Sunday sitting there waiting for the service to begin. I looked down the aisle and there's this beautiful um, lady sitting several seats down. And my mind said, wow, look at how beautiful she is. And then it caused my heart to be roused in its affections and say, wow, wouldn't that be great if you knew who she was and you could spend some time with her and get to know her. And so you see, it began here and it went to my heart. And that's the way that the gospel works in bringing us to live our lives to glorify God. We see God for who he is and how beautiful and wondrous he is. And then it arouses the affections of our hearts to want to live our lives for God, to not want to live our lives for ourselves. Let's take a look at Romans 12, 1 and 2 to see how this process of living for God's glory works. So we start off with Romans 11, 33 through 36. But Paul didn't end his letter to the church in Rome with chapter 11. In fact, at the time he wrote it, he didn't write it in chapters. Um, 
But Romans doesn't end with the end of chapter 11. It goes on. And at the beginning of chapter 12, Paul lays out this process for what he talked about at the end of Romans 11. Living our lives for God's glory. And so this is how it works. Romans 12, 1 and 2. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy... So where is God? How do we know that God is merciful toward us? Where do we see God's mercy most clearly demonstrated? It's at the cross and through the resurrection. So we could say here, therefore I urge you brothers and sisters, in view of the gospel, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. So it says here, in view of the gospel, let your mind be transformed. So that it causes your heart to grow in its affections for God. And so Paul is laying out this process of how we can live our lives for the glory of God and not live our lives for ourselves. So we are transformed from making our lives about ourselves to making all of life about God and his glory through the renewal of our minds. And as we experience God's mercy and grace and redemption, our minds begin to see him for who he is as our creator and sustainer. And as the one who offers us true life-giving joy through living for his glory. In response to the gospel, our minds see God's magnificence and his beauty in saving us. And it causes our hearts to long for him and his purposes to be carried out in our lives. This happens as his spirit dwells in us and leads us in his ways. He becomes the ultimate source of our joy and satisfaction. And our thoughts and behavior reflect his characteristics. I hope you're seeing how this works. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says this, that as we behold the glory of the Lord, we are transformed into his image from one degree of glory to another. And this transformation to living for God's glory is what Paul talks about in Galatians 5, 16 through 25. So let's, uh, let's take a look at this and read through it and discuss it. It says, Paul says here beginning in Galatians 5, 16, But I say... Walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the thing you wanted to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. 
But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. In those who belong to Christ, here's what I want you to hear. Those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Here he lists both the fruit of the Spirit and the fruit of the flesh, or the fruit of ourselves, our sinful nature. And these lists can be used as a diagnosis of whether we are glorifying God in our lives. We can look at our lives and see whether we are demonstrating the attitudes and actions of the flesh or whether we are demonstrating the attitudes and actions of God's Spirit. And after listing the fruit of the Spirit, Paul says, "...in those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires." Here he is talking about crucifying ourself with its selfish desires in order that we would gladly submit to God and his life-giving purposes and desires. So Paul's talking here about our need to die to self in order to live for God's glory. But I don't want you to miss this. Please pay attention. We are not in this alone. We are not called to pull up our bootstraps and tough it out in order to crucify ourselves and its desires. God has provided a helper in this process. He has provided a guide for us to follow in this process of saying no to our selfish ways and saying yes to living for God's glory. That helper and guide is the Holy Spirit. In verse 16, Paul tells us to work, to walk in the Spirit. Or in other words, let the Holy Spirit guide our lives. And in verse 25, we see that if we are living by the Spirit, then we are keeping in step with or following the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. That doesn't sound so bad, does it? But take a look at what the Spirit is guiding us to. The Spirit is guiding us to the cross, just as the Spirit led Jesus himself to the cross. God does not leave us on our own. He gives us the gift of the Holy Spirit to lead us and guide us away from self and to the cross of Christ. The Spirit is guiding us to see the cross of Christ and to see their God's love and grace toward us so clearly demonstrated that in response we will see ourselves with its passion and desires nailed to that very same cross. And we will gladly turn toward God and his glory as our way of living. This is the same truth that Jesus shares with his disciples in Matthew 10, 38 and 39, where he states, And whoever does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. This is the message of the gospel. 
The gospel calls us to die to ourselves in our desires that we might find true life in Jesus in his desire to be glorified in and through us. This won't come up on the board either, but in another place, John goes on to tell his disciples in um, John 12, 24, he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. And Christ himself exemplifies following the leading and guidance of the Holy Spirit through all of his life. It was the Spirit that led him into the desert where he went without food and water for 40 days and was greatly tempted by Satan there. So which of you, if you knew ahead of time that you would be led into the desert and you would be there without water for 40 days and 40 nights, which of you would follow that? The desert's a hot, dry place. Food and water are good things to have. I, I grew up in Southern California, and we used to go out and play in the desert all the time. And we'd take our three-wheelers, that was back before they had quads, and we'd take uh, motorcycles, we'd take dune buggies, but we also took lots of food and water. We never said, yeah, let's go out there and play, not have any food and water. But Jesus followed the leading and guiding of the Holy Spirit, even to the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights, without any food or water to drink. So which of us, if you were offered all the kingdoms of the world, would instead follow the guidance of the Spirit and follow the Spirit to the cross. All the kingdoms of the world. If you were offered that, would you say yes? Or would you follow the Spirit and follow the Spirit to the cross? Take a look at any billboards as you drive down Dorchester or anywhere around here. We're offered the kingdoms of the world. If we buy this or buy that, if we look like this or if we have that, we'll have all the kingdoms of the world at our disposal. But that's not where the Spirit is leading us. That's not where the Spirit led Jesus. The Spirit led him to the cross. So we've got to ask ourselves some hard questions here. Jesus also demonstrates this truth as he prays to the Father in the Garden of Gethsemane. On the night before, he was to go to the cross. Here we see in John 17, 1 through 5, that Jesus prays, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you. How was he to glorify the Father? It was through his death on the cross. The passage goes on to tell us that Jesus had glorified his Father by accomplishing all the work that the Father had given him to do. In all that Jesus did while living here on earth as a human, he submitted completely to his Father's will and desire for his life. And he perfectly followed the leading of the Spirit. His life was a visible demonstration of the characteristics of God 
so that all could see who God is and what God is like, and in response, worship God. So what does that mean for us as the family of River Bluff? Well, later in that same chapter, as Jesus continues to pray to his Father, he says in verse 18, As you have sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And Jesus here is talking about his disciples. But a few verses later, he says that he is not only asking this for his disciples that were there at the time, but for all who believe in him through their word. That includes us. If we are to glorify God by demonstrating and declaring his characteristics to our community, then we are to live as those whom God is sending out to the community for this very purpose, to glorify God. Not to accomplish things for River Bluff or to accomplish things for ourselves, not to make a great name for River Bluff or to make great names for ourselves, but for God in his glory alone. So as a family of River Bluff, we are not to look to accomplish our own desires, but to reflect and demonstrate the character of God to all those in our community. This means that we are to die to our selfish desires as a church family and submit ourselves completely to God. Being a part of a church family is not about you, and it's not about me. And what we want from the church or ministry. I've heard of many churches arguing over the color of the carpet. Is that living life for God's glory? By the way, who chose this green for the carpet here? Just wondering. But it's not about you and it's not about me and what we want and desire to get out of a church. It's about us gathering together as God's family to glorify him through the time that we gather together, but also throughout the rest of the week as we live our lives for God's glory in our communities. This means it's going to cost us something because death is always very costly. It means that it may cost our finances as we seek to bless others. It may cost us our time as we commit to building relationships with others in our community. It may cost us our comfort as we encounter and seek to love those who are different than us. It may cost us the use of our God-given talents as we use them to bring help and healing to those in our community. And one thing is for very sure. It will mean that it will cost us all of these as we get out of our chairs in this sanctuary and go out to the people and places that so desperately need to see the character of God in his people so that they too might come to a saving belief in Jesus Christ and have the opportunity to live their lives for the glory of God. I'm going to finish just a couple minutes early. Is that okay with you guys? Yeah, simple nod of the head will do. Yeah, all right. But I do want to leave you with one last thing here. I want to leave you with one last picture of God's glory as we find it in Scripture. 
In Revelation chapter 5, John is given a vision of a great heavenly throne with God the Father seated on the throne and a lamb standing beside the throne. The lamb is described as though it had been slain. And he takes a scroll from him who was seated on the throne, God the Father. John then sees and hears four living beasts and the 24 elders. And it says, myriads of angels saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. Then John hears every creature in heaven and on earth and under the sea and in the sea. That includes everything, right? And he hears them saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. This includes us who are saved. And this is where all things are leading to. We have the incredible privilege of living now here on earth of how we will one day be living when heaven comes to earth. You see, we get to show people a little bit of heaven on earth as we live out our lives for God's glory rather than for our glory and honor and desires. In Colossians 1.27, it says that we have Christ in us, the hope of glory. You have Christ in you, the hope of living your life for God's glory. As Pastor Terry read to us earlier, that passage from Philippians, that very same Christ who's in us isn't any different than he was then. He humbled himself, came and lived as a servant, and went to the cross. Let me pray for us. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your spirit. We thank you that you've created us for the very specific purpose of bringing you glory here on earth. May you use your word and may the spirit allow us to see your word and understand your purpose for us in such a way that it goes to our hearts. And our hearts are greatly affected and our affections are drawn to you to forsake ourselves, to die to self, and to live our life for your glory and your glory alone, both as individuals, but also as a family gathered together, the family of River Bluff. So we give you all honor and glory, and may we do that even as we leave these doors. In Jesus' name we pray. Thanks for listening. If you're in North Charleston this Sunday, please consider visiting us at our 9 o'clock or 11.30 services. We'd love to see you. Again, for more information, visit riverbluff.org. Now go change the world.